And I want to continue in the series today on turning points. And I want to talk today about turning points in the valley. Turning points in the valley. Anybody in here ever been through a valley? Anybody in here in a valley? Well, that was about half of you. Well, we're going to talk about turning points in that valley, how you navigate your way through a valley, what you need to know in a valley. Now, I'm jumping into the middle of a story involving Jacob, the patriarch. And look what he said. You are robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. And now you want to take Benjamin too. Now read this last part with me, can you? Everything is going against me. Ever feel that way? Everything is going against me. We're going to jump into his story right in the middle here. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your blessing. We thank you that you've got a word for us today of encouragement. Lord, we are all in a fight of faith, and I pray that you will strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your neighbor and tell him, perk up in the valley. God's going to see you through. All right, let me just uh, bring you up to speed on this story. This is uh, the story of Joseph and Jacob and the patriarchs, uh, to me, is some of the richest in the Old Testament. Now, you know the story of Jacob. He's the third patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, 10 by Leah and 2 by Rachel. The Bible says Leah was doe-eyed or fair-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and, God, and, and Jacob loved Rachel. And so as a result, God kept giving Leah children. Bottom line is, he had two children by the woman he loved and ten by Leah. These were the patriarchs of the twelve tribes of Israel. Now you know the story that one of his favorites was Joseph. Joseph and Benjamin were the two children by Rachel. And the Bible says that Jacob so loved Joseph that he gave him a coat of many colors. This was a picture, and I could go into all the picture this is, but it was a picture of favor, a picture of the Father's favor, a picture of grace. But he gave Joseph this coat of many colors, and Joseph was also a dreamer, and Joseph dreamed dreams, and the dreams that he dreamed did not bless his other brothers because he dreamed that they were all bowing down to him. And they said, you think we're going to bow down to you, little bro? No way. Joseph said, this is what I dreamed. Now, they were already jealous of him because they saw how much Jacob loved him. Jacob did have favorites, and they were Joseph and Benjamin by Rachel. And so you know what happened. You know the story. They became so infuriated and grew to hate him on such a level. Envy turned to hatred. And... They saw him coming out to the field one day. They took him and they threw him into a pit, but not before they ripped off of him that coat of many colors. They ripped off that coat, threw him down, and they were going to kill him, but he was stopped by Judah, who said, Don't kill him. Spare his life. We'll sell him to slave traders. And so the Bible says that a caravan went by 
a caravan of slave traders. And they sold Joseph into slavery, and the caravan carried him into Egypt. And you know the rest of the story. He is taken in by Potiphar, somebody with great authority in Egypt. And there, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him because he was a handsome man. The Bible says he resisted and ran, and she lied about him. And he was thrown into prison for something he did not do. And there he languished for years. Now I want you to think about it. Betrayed by his brothers, thrown into prison for something he did not do, but for the grace of God he would have died a bitter and an angry man. But the grace of God was with Joseph even in the jail. Now here's Jacob back home. And the brothers come up to him and they say, is this your son's coat? He said, yes, that's my son's coat. That's Joseph's coat. And they had poured animal blood on it. This was before DNA. They'd have got him on forensic files. But he said, no doubt wild animals have torn him to pieces. And these brothers, so filled with hatred and bitterness and envy and evil, did not tell their dad the truth for years. They allowed him to cry himself to sleep at night and believe all that time that his favorite son had been slaughtered in a terrible death by wild beasts. Now in the meantime, a famine begins to come on the land. And Jacob and his family have run out of food. And so Jacob says, I've heard that there is food in Egypt. Now this is about a decade down the road. I've heard there's food in Egypt. Now I want you to go down there and get us some food. They said, fine. So they went down there and they went down there to buy some food. And Joseph, who now doesn't look the same, he has been Egyptianized. He's dressing like an Egyptian. He's speaking Egyptian. They don't recognize Joseph when they see him. And they come up to him, and God had delivered him from prison. God had made him second only to Pharaoh. And you could not buy or sell anything unless you went through Joseph, the one who had been betrayed, who had been wronged, who had been rejected, who had been lied about, who had been slandered. Now he's second only to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had already given the command, when you see Joseph coming, you bow down. He is second only to me. What he says goes. When he stops, it stops. And so they come in front of Joseph not knowing who it is. And they say, we're here to buy some food. But Joseph sees his brothers, the ones who sold him up the river, the ones who lied about him, the ones who betrayed him. And he conceals himself. And he says, well, I'll, I'll give you some food, but I'm going to tell you what, I think you're spies. And he began to mess with their minds. And they deserved it. He could have done way worse. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I think you're spies. And so I'm going to hold on to one of you, Simeon. And you go back and I want you to bring your younger brother to me. He wanted to see Benjamin, his real brother by Rachel. You bring Benjamin to me and I want to meet him. And when you bring him, I'm going to believe what you have told me, that you're just here to buy food and you're not spies. And so they went back. And they didn't know how to tell their daddy, who to this day is hurting and brokenhearted over having lost Joseph. And they go to poor old Jacob, 
who doesn't have a clue. He's been deceived all these years. And they say to Jacob, Dad, don't know how to break it to you. But the the master of the land, the boss, wouldn't give us food until we bring Benjamin. And he's got Simeon. And that's when Jacob said, Oh no, all these things are against me. Life doesn't make sense to me right now. God wasn't making sense. Life wasn't making sense. And I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but I want to inform you as a believer, there are times life is not going to make sense and there's times God is not going to make sense. You're going to wonder where God is and you're going to wonder what's going on in your life and there are times you just got to look up and you got to trust. Now, Jacob, here he is. He's fearing that he's going to lose not only Joseph, who's already gone, but now Benjamin, his only surviving son from Rachel. Rachel has died. So he says, all these things are against me. Life's against You can almost hear him. What have I done to deserve this? I'm a good guy. I'm a good man. I'm trying to raise a good family. And all these things keep happening to me. What is going on? Is God mad at me? Is God angry at me? Has he walked out on me? Nothing is making sense. Now, what Jacob's story is going to show us today is there are two sides to the circumstances life throws our way. There's always two sides. And let me tell you what they are. What we can see with our natural eye and what God is doing that we cannot see with our natural eye. There's two sides to every circumstance in your life, what you can see with your natural eye. Let me tell you about your natural eye real quick. Paul said, we see through a glass darkly. We are seeing, even on our best day, we do not see like God sees, know what God knows. We still see through a fog. That's why you need this word. It is your instrument panel as you navigate through the fog of life. It will tell you about God. But Those are the two things involved in every circumstance in your life, whatever it is, what you can see with your natural eye, which is limited, and what God is doing that you do not see until you come out on the other side of your trial. How you respond to the valleys you go through is a turning point, a fork in the road. How you respond. Now, Jacob's story tells us what we've got to know. What we really need to know. Here's what I like about Jacob's story. He went through it for me so that I don't have to go through the same thing to learn what he learned. See, wisdom is when you have an understanding of God and his ways that you didn't have to go through hell and back to find out. I told Kathy on the way here today, I said, you know, it's like this with wisdom. By the time you get wisdom, you're too old to use it. (laughs) yeah I, i think i understand now have you ever noticed that have you ever noticed that you learn all of your really great lessons when you're old and gray and you say praise god now i get it now i get it that's why we have the word of god because it gives us wisdom that we don't have to get old to find out about 
Come on, everybody. Jacob's story tells us some things we need to understand about God that are really, really important if we're going to experience peace in the storm. You can go through storms white-knuckled, or you can go through the storms of life with peace on the inside. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to have the peace. I want to have the understanding that God's Word will give. You can be white-knuckled through life. Every time you hit turbulence, you're freaked out. You're wondering where God is. You're saying all these things are against me. All you're seeing through is the lens of your natural eye, or you can see it through the eyes of wisdom. Now, let me tell you three things that Jacob learned that we need to know tonight, today about God. The first one is, I want you to say it with me, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And you say, well, Pastor Jeff, what is sovereign? Sovereign means supreme in power and authority. Our God is not up there chewing his nails, turning to Gabriel and saying, oh no, what are we going to do now? Our God is sovereign. He is supreme in power and authority. When you read the Bible, here's what you find out about God. Ephesians 1.11 says, the purpose of him, talking about God's purpose, the purpose of him who works all things. Everybody say with me, all things. He works all things according to the counsel of his own will. God is in charge of his universe. God is the boss man of the world. God is never checkmated by the devil. God is never taken back. God never says, well, I'll be. God knows the end from the beginning, Isaiah said. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end of something before it even begins. Only God can do that. And from ancient times, I tell you what is coming before it is done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will always do all my pleasure. God alone is God. Only God can look at something before the beginning even begins and tell you what the end will be. God looks at your life and He already sees the end. When you were born, God knows all about you. He knows where you've been, where you are, where you're going, what you're going to do. He knows the end of something before it starts. Only God can do that. The God of the Bible is the architect. He's the architect of the ages. Our God, Jehovah God, the God who sent Jesus Christ into the world. Our God is the weaver of the tapestry of history. History is His story. Our God, the fingerprints of God can be found at every turn in the march of nations. He puts down one nation, raises up another. Puts down one person, raises up another. Our God is in charge. He is not a wimp. He is not a granddaddy in the sky. He's not mad at the world and, and fuming out the eyes and fuming out the ears and living that way. No, God loves the world and He is in charge of this planet. He 
He's never taken by surprise because he know, knows what was going to happen before it took place. Isaiah 40, says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers to God. That's our God. You say, but pastor, but pastor, what about all of the crime and mayhem and murder and tragedy and sorrow of this world? Where's God in all of that? God is like the captain of a cruise ship. Many things happen on that ship that are not in keeping with the captain's will. People get drunk. People commit adultery. They sometimes harm and even kill others. Any captain of any ship will tell you, not everything that happens on my ship is according to my will. But here's the deal. The ship as a whole is still under the captain's authority and command. And it will arrive at the destination it's set out for. I want you to catch that now. God has given us a free will. He will not infringe on that will. And things happen on God's ship. Planet Earth is the ship I'm talking about. And the captain is God. And the first mate is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the destination is a new heaven and a new earth. And God says, though things happen on my ship, I am not in agreement with and that are not according to my will. I'm the master and the captain of this ship. And where I have decreed is where it will arrive. John the Revelator told us where this ship is going. And can I tell you, it's not in charge of the Russians or the Americans or the Democrats or the Republicans or the Libertarians or any other political party. This ship is under the control of the living God. <clears throat> Come on, everybody. Man is not in charge of this ship. Here's what John the Revelator said, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, for these have all passed away. Where is the captain of the ship taking this boat? It's headed to glory. It's headed to heaven. It's headed to a new day. And everything sin cursed us with is going to be eradicated, removed, defeated, done away with. And Jesus is going to be the head politician. God is sovereign. If He's not sovereign, then He's not God. Jacob learned that. Jacob could not see it with his natural eyes. But the sovereign God was working out a beautiful plan. At the very hour, he said, all these things are against me. In despair, God was working out a beautiful plan. And when you look up and you say, all these things are against me. What am I going to do? Woe is me. If you're God's child, I can tell you He's working out a plan. It's a plan to bless you. It's a plan to save your life. It's a plan for an incredible future that reaches far beyond your own life, down through your descendants. God 
has a plan. And say with me, isn't anything? Come on, everybody, talk to me. Isn't anything going to stop it? Because God is sovereign. Now give him praise today. Come on. Now the second turning point nugget in Jacob's story is this one. The troubles of today are not the prophets of tomorrow. Now I want you to think about that statement. Because when we are experiencing trouble, we tend to look at it like, well, this is the end for me. This is so much trouble. There is so much trouble. So many things are going wrong that I don't see that there's anything left for my future. But you will find if you stay with God that the troubles of today are not the prophets of your tomorrow. I mean P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S. I'm talking the forecasters of your tomorrow. Romans 8.28 says, we can be sure that every detail in our lives is worked into something good. How in the world can that be? Because God is sovereign. He's bigger than your enemy. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than your problems. He's bigger than your mountains. He's bigger than your valleys. Your God is greater than anything you are facing today. And God has decreed, no matter what comes against you, I'm going to make it work together for your good because I am sovereign. And so Paul says, with God on our side like this, how can we lose? Think where some of you were just a year ago, two years ago, maybe even this week. You were in a valley. You didn't know what you were going to do, where you were going to turn, how you were going to get out, how it was ever going to change. And yet here you are today, lifting your hands to God, worshiping Jesus Christ, sitting in church, singing to Him. You know why? Because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world, and he will see your ship through to the destination he's decreed. And that's good news. I like what James said. James talked about Job, whose name in history has become synonymous with somebody for whom everything went wrong. Lost his goods, lost his children, lost everything but his life. Even his own wife said, curse God and die. It was bleak for Job, body covered in blisters and sores, sinning in ashes, his best friends telling him, what'd you do? What sin brought this on you? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Oh, you had to have done something. God's against you. Fess up. Spit it out. Come on. The only thing he had was his faith. And James talks about it. And James says, you've heard of Job's staying power. Have you heard of Job's staying power? And you know how God brought it all together for him in the end. Oh, I love that statement. God brought it all together for him in the end. If you'd stepped in in the middle of the book, you'd have said, Job, curse God and die. If you'd have known him and been there, you'd have said, man, what in the world did you do to bring this curse of God on your life? 
In the middle of it all, it looked bleak and was getting bleaker. But it says God worked it all together for him in the end. You know, we like reading novels sometimes. We've been reading a prophetic novel lately. And you don't put that thing down in the middle of the book and say, well, I think I've got it. I don't need to read the rest. No, you give the author the benefit of the doubt, and you read to the end, and you wait for the end. And the end brings everything together, all the characters, all the plots, everything going on, comes together in the end, and you go, wow, you know what? you got to give the author of your destiny time to bring everything to the end. you got to give him time. To bring it together to the end. Listen to what he says. That's because God cares right down to the last detail. I want you to say that with me. God cares right down to the last detail. Job said to his wife, woman, you're crazy. God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he stayed true to God. And you know what God did? What God will do for you. And I'm not just giving you some cheap, charismatic formula. God gave Job double for his trouble. You know what I'm praying for? I'm believing God's going to give me and this church double for our trouble. Double for our trouble. See, when the devil attacks you, he attacks the Lord. When the devil steals from you, he stole from the Lord. And if you'll trust the Lord, God will give you double for your trouble. Listen to what it says. The Lord restored Job's losses. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. This is why I'm excited about where we're going. Because I'm in for a double blessing. I'm praying for a double blessing. I'm standing for a double blessing, and I'm going to experience a double blessing. Double for my trouble. What about you? You say, God is good all the time. Now, the last lesson from Jacob's story is this one. There's always a bigger picture. Because we don't see things like God does, we don't see the full scope of what God really wants to do. We live day to day, meal to meal, paycheck to paycheck. We, we live in now. But God doesn't live in now. God lives in the future. God declares that something is going to be before it is. And when you arrive at your destinations in life, God's already there waiting for you. God doesn't live in now. God lives in the future. And so God is always putting together something bigger and stronger and mightier than you could ever imagine on your own. Oh, oh please believe when I tell you that. Paul said, I has not seen, not a natural eye, a natural ear has not heard. A natural heart has not conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. That tells you and me God's got some things in store 
that if he showed it all to us all at once, it'd blow our minds. We couldn't leave this building. We'd be walking around in a stupor. What's the matter with you? I just saw everything God's got for me. Just saw it all. Excuse me, I'm just having a spiritual freak out. I just can't believe it. So God knows he's got to show you a little here, a little there. Take one step, he shows you another. Take that one, he shows you another. He can't show it to you all at once. Jesus himself said in the Gospels, I have much more to say to you, but you couldn't handle it now. Suffice it to say, there is a huge plan for you and for me, and it's always bigger than anything we could have imagined. Jacob could never have known when he said the words, all these things are against me. That God had sent Joseph to Egypt to make him ruler of the land. That the sovereign God was actually moving in a sovereign way to preserve the Jewish race from extinction through starvation. Why was he preserving them? It gets bigger. Because he had a master plan to bring Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, into the world to die for our sins. If God had not sent Joseph, we would not be here. Because that embryonic Jewish race was preserved in the midst of famine. Talk about a bigger picture. Talk about a bigger picture. No wonder Paul, when thinking about God, wrote, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways are past finding out. Right when you think you've got Him figured out, you figure out you don't have Him figured out. Because he's sovereign. He does what he wants. I brought something here today. I want to close with this. Let me get George, can you come up here, please, and hold this side? Now, this is a tapestry. Now, if I hold this up to you right now, you look at it and you say, well, those are pretty colors, but I can't make out at all what the weaver intended. When you see something like this, you know that on the other side of it, there's a weaver. And he's weaving something. But when you're looking at it this way, this is the way Jacob was looking when he said, all these things are against me. Because there's no reason, there's no reason to the rhyme. It doesn't make sense. And Job as well. But they hung in there and said, you know what? Even though I can't see the whole picture and I see through a glass darkly, I trust the weaver on the other side. And when you look at your life, this is what you see in the middle of a trial. It doesn't make sense. Nothing jives. You don't understand. But then you come out on the other side. And we're going to have to hold it up like this. 
And it says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That is what it says? That's what it says. You see? And so, right now, your life might look like this. But God says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean to your own understanding. The sovereign God, the weaver of your destiny, the one who called you before you were even born, who knows you inside out, who has a plan for your life that's bigger than anything you can understand. He says, wait upon the Lord. Because when you get to the other side and you walk through the valley, you're going to look back and say, Ah, now I see what God was doing. And so Jacob's sons come to him and say, Dad, sit down. Why? Are you ready, Dad? Tell me. Joseph is alive. Say what? What? We just talked to him. He's the ruler of Egypt. Oh, <laughs> sure. That's great, guys. Now tell me what happened when you went on your trip. And he says, Joseph is alive. He's the ruler of Egypt. And he wants to see you. It turned around. And when he saw that Joseph was over the whole land, and that they were preserved. He said, this is what God was doing. Now I see the big picture. Can we stand together today? I want to tell you, no, you're not Jacob. You're not a patriarch, but you're a child of God. And he's got an incredible plan for you. Now, which side of the tapestry are you on? Are you looking back and you see what God was doing? Or does it look like a jumbled mess and you don't know what's up? Trust him. God is working out plan. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness today. Thank you for your watch care over us. Thank you that you're the great and the awesome God. We praise you, Lord, that you're working on our behalf. Now, if you're in a valley today, I feel impressed by the Spirit of God to pray for you. I want to pray that you have a vision of the Father, that you have your faith strengthened, and that you choose the turning points of understanding His sovereignty, trusting there's a bigger picture. And today's trouble is not the forecaster of tomorrow's blessing. God is in charge of your tomorrow. If you're in a valley today, I want you to slip out and I want you to come down here. And I want you to let me pray for you. I'm going to pray for grace, that God graces you, strengthens you.
illuminates you, speaks to you, undergirds you and helps you. Come now. They're coming from everywhere. And we're going to take a minute and just wait for them. And if you need to give your heart to Jesus, could I ask us to bow for just a moment of prayer? If you don't know the Lord today, that is, if you've never called upon Him to be saved, do you know that God's got an incredible plan for you? An incredible purpose for your life? And God wants to introduce you to it. And you're never going to know it apart from Jesus. So if you need to give your heart to the Lord, what a great time to do it. I want to encourage you. Let us pray for you. Slip out from where you are and come.